Hello and welcome to Philosophy with Will Anderson. My name is Podcast Mike. It's a Friday catch-up episode. Uh, this episode is a part two chat with Peter Hellier, who first appeared on the show back in 2018, three years ago now. Pete has been very busy over the last few years, not only writing a series of children's books and being the host on the project. His TV series, How to Stay Married, is airing now on Channel 10. It is in its third season, and as Will and Pete discuss, it is rare for an Australian sitcom to enter a third season. Uh, This is a really fun chat where the guys talk all about... uh, television production in Australia, writing for television, and uh, looking at lots of more complex themes in season three of How to Stay Married uh, around death and religion and other uh things that can be awkward to talk about with family. Will is still doing his Willegal shows in Wagga Wagga on the 12th and 13th of June at the Wagga Wagga Civic Theatre. You can get tickets at civictheatre.com.au. So definitely go and see that show. Also, you can support this show at patreon.com slash willosophy for as little as a dollar a month. You can help uh, us put this show together and these catch-up episodes, if we do reach a consistent $5,000 a month, we will put out a catch-up episode every week as opposed to just some weeks. Uh, and if you want to support the wider TOEFOP network, you can listen to some of our other podcasts, TOEFOP, FOFOP, and Two Guys, One Cup, and AFL Podcast. You can find out all about those at tofop.com. That's T-O-F-O-P.com. Thank you so much for listening and supporting us. Here is Philosophy with Peter Hellier, part two. Hello and welcome to Philosophy with Will Anderson. I'm Will Anderson from the title of the podcast. It's a returning guest episode. Very excited to have uh, both one of Australia's finest uh, comedians, writers, directors, producers, um, and just a very old mate of mine uh, back on the show. Uh, this is how the show starts, of course. I ask my guests who they are. So who are you? Um, I am slightly embarrassed by the list of things you just uh, uh, listed, but uh, my name's Peter Hellier and... Um yeah, I'm a, I'm a comedian. It'd be good if you went the other way, actually. You should have gone also a very successful children's book author, <laughs> travel you, you, author. You could have named. Like, I actually undersold it a little. <laughs> I can't... Gold Logie nominee. It is. Where, yeah, when people list... When you see things listed or you hear things listed, you do... I feel myself blush, to be honest. It's. It, I, I feel quite fraudulent. Um, but, um, but yeah, you did miss a couple of things. Yes, you're right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Sorry, movie maker... Uh, <laughs> Uh, okay, husband, but the, like at the moment, let's, oh yeah, husband, of course. I mean, well, we all know that you're a husband and a father, and of mm-hmm. course, uh, we know that because you can't help but you know mine your family situation for your art and your content, uh, which brings us to how to stay married. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Back on Channel Ten. Why is he a returning guest? I wonder. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's funny, uh, uh, How to Stay Married. Let's talk about, it. let's dive in at the deep end with the, the proper plug because it is back and it's incredible that it's back, like genuinely, because it's an Australian sitcom mm. and Australian sitcoms traditionally have a hard time getting a second se- series, let alone a third or a fourth. You know, these it's almost beyond the comprehension of the fact that there's even an Australian sitcom 
on television. I mean, but with you on TV, I've just been watching the final couple of episodes of Fisk, Kitty Flanagan's right. sitcom, which was absolutely fantastic. It's really inspiring to see all these comedians on screen and all these comedic actors on screen. I mean, watching people like Marty Sheargold on Kitty's show or watching Judith <laughs> Lucy on your show, you're just like, we have really missed out almost as an Australian population that they haven't been consistently on TV acting for the last decade. Absolutely, absolutely. And I'm so glad you put some context around that because your first sentence was, uh, it's incredible that your series is back. Um, <laughs> so I'm glad I'm glad you painted the picture of what that means because it is like, it is incredible. Like when we, we, when we got the first series of How to Stay Married Up on a commercial network, it was incredible to us. And I had almost no expectations of getting a second series. I really did. I, hoped, I really hoped that we did. And in my mind, I was like, okay, just get two. If you can get the first one up and get a second one, it just means it hasn't failed and you, you know enough people have, have gotten to it. And then the second series did bigger business uh, for 10 uh, than the first series. So we, we, we grew. And then I was like, well, surely because of maybe COVID, it's going to be hard. And, and you know, it, weirdly, the way funding's set up in Australia, sometimes the longer you go, the harder it is to fund. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know why. Um, That's always fun, isn't it? It is. It gets to a point in that we go, we have to cancel this show because it was successful enough <laughs> that it went long enough that the funding to make it ran out. Yes. Yeah, we're we going to roll the dice again and see if we can get a show that lasts <laughs> half a season, you know, a game show or something. But it's – and so to have a third series on a commercial network is just uh, incredible. And, and you have to go back uh, – somebody was saying to the 90s to Acropolis now to have, you know, a, a series that went to a third series – uh, you had the Habibs went, got got a second series on, on Channel Nine uh, recently, and this is on commercial. ABC have been shouldering the load of, of, of uh, comedy in this country for so long. It's just, it's. I'm really stoked that Channel Ten uh, are on board and um, and that we're we're back again. And, and you're absolutely right to see. Sorry to see to see Marty, to see Marty and Jude and Nikki Britton and Kitty. I mean, I, I, I've been speaking to Kitty about this show. You know, Fisk, you know, every time we bumped into each other, you know, she would let me know how it was going. So to see. It, uh, you know, be on our screens and be executed so beautifully, and 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 for Kitty to get her her rewards is um is just so exciting. Yeah, well, I'm so glad that it is back for a third season because I know when you first started out, you said to me that you wanted to make a white Acropolis now, and yes. I feel like that you've really you've done that, and I feel like you can walk away happy now. It, it's all about representation, Will. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, you. It, it, well, it's really it's it's funny because I you know I uh, it, it's it's not a high concept TV show how to stay married. It's it's you know, but what makes it interesting I think is that weirdly there hasn't been an Australian sitcom that's looked at the family dynamic like this. There's you know there's all of our sitcoms those ninety sitcoms all together now and uh, hey dad we're, we're like about widowed men, you know, um, mother and son was a mother and son relation. Kath and Kim was, you know, mother and daughter. And there hasn't just been this sitcom that I can really think of that really just focused on the family the way US sitcoms have been doing for decades and the way the Brits have been doing it. So as much as it's really a, um, you know, it's, it's not high concept, it's just something we haven't seen before, like the, to see an Australian family dynamic uh, on, on screens. In a, in a comedy. Well, because th- there is, I mean, yes, there's a little bit of that traditional American, you know, uh, sitcom formula to it where the, you know, the, the smarter wife, the, you know, the slightly dumber dad, you know, kind of relationship, yeah. which we see played out constantly in US ones. 
But it's not the same when you translate it to Australia anyway. I was very much, you sent me an episode that's coming up in a few episodes yep. of How to Stay Married, and we'll get into the meat of that one a little bit later. But um, the thing that I really took away from that episode was that while your character certainly has an element of like, you know, dumb dad about him or naive dad or, you yeah. know, you know, daggy dad or whatever, the Australian take on what that character is, is actually very different to what the American take on that character is. When you set out, did you have an awareness that those things would be different? Yeah, I mean, we tried to avoid as much as we could the stereotypical dumb fuck dad. Like, and it's, it's... It's tricky because you are you are constantly wanting to put your characters into peril and and to you know raise the stakes and their day has to get worse and they have to and sometimes that has to be through their own agency you know it's, it's kind of cheating if it's all just happening to them um, they have to kind of put their foot in it's kind of you know some of the rules of of writing this stuff so you do find it's very difficult to avoid um avoid that uh, when you're writing a sitcom like this um but we were very aware of it and i think what i think all greg wants is to build a utopia for his family like he just wants his daughters to be happy he wants M to be happy um and that shifts a little bit as the series you know and the seasons go along he starts thinking about okay well what do i want to do in the same way that's where M started you know she was you know, at home looking after the kids and she decided, no, I want to actually, you know, work. And they worked out that they were in the wrong, they were playing in the wrong positions, if you like. Um, so, it, yeah, it, it was, it's very much on our minds. Um, it is it is hard to avoid, you know. You know, as soon as you put a dad into a sitcom and you want him to get get into trouble and there to be conflict in the show, it, 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 is, it is tricky. But like you said, I think the Australian sensibility does give it a different edge. Uh, and, and it's interesting to me because, like, I mean, and again, it, like, I mean, I think Dumb Dad is an oversimplification, but it's just yeah, for the, the sake of this conversation. There's always something amazing at work uh, when you know the creator of the show, the creator of the characters, the person who possibly has written and directed the episode in some cases, is the person putting these words both in the dumb dad's mouth and also in the smart wife's mouth. Yes. Like, you know, they were responsible for all those words. But I think as a comedian, there is an instinct of going, well, if somebody else gets to be smart, it's going to be not me. I'll be the butt of the joke. I'll be the one that the, you know, at the end of the day, I'm going to use, I'm in control of all of this. Yeah. And I'm going to save the worst punishment for myself, the character that I am playing. And sometimes I'm writing... Like I, I think Greg in some episodes and some scenes is certainly like the straight guy. So I'm, as a comedian, I'm sometimes I'm writing or I'm overlooking episodes where it's like, no, Lisa's M's character, you know, Lisa's character M is going to be funnier in in, in this, or, or Jude's character is going to steal this scene, you know, and Greg's just going to you know have to kind of be this part of it. Um, and that's kind of interesting to to um to be you know comfortable with. Um, uh, but it's it's. You got to put your ego aside and just go. This is a team effort. As long as the show's working, if the scene's working, if the story's working, then you know it's it's good for everyone. So, um, but for me, for me, I guess the difference between him being like a dumb dad is, is opposed. You know, I, I think what he is, he lacks he lacks ambition. You know, and and not even that he's lazy, but he just like he started. We, we met Greg. He was working at births, deaths, and marriages, and he was in a dead end job that he didn't. And I've got friends who just wound up in jobs you know i i 
constantly reminding myself, and I know, you know, I'm sure you think about it a lot, how lucky we are or this, how grateful we are that we actually got to choose, you know, or we went for, we went for our dream, you know, and I think that's, you know, not everybody does and, um, and many people do and it, it doesn't work out. Um, I think we're, you know, we, we, we went for it and um, it, we've, at this stage, we've, we've made it work. Touch wood, <laughs> um, and and Greg just didn't ne- never did that. And and um, and M is ambitious, and she and she's got fire in her belly. Where Greg's Greg just doesn't have that fire. So sometimes I think that can come off as, you know, uh, the dumb dad. But I just think he he's just got different priorities. Okay, so we'll come back to the show. But you had a little point there that I want to jump off on for a minute, which is this idea of you know going for your dream. It's something that I thought about a lot in the last few years, which is because I think it's both a blessing and a curse, right? Mm. You know, the idea that, you know, there's that saying that you're told that if you find something that you love, that you'll, you know, uh, that you do for free, then you'll never work a day for the rest of your life. I, I think that it perhaps should come with a caveat, which is the opposite, which is you'll never have a day off for the rest of your fucking life because <laughs> yes. like you will be constantly at work. Yes. If you love your job, if you are your job, if you are in control of your world and your industry and things only happen, if you choose to go and make them happen, there's no boss looking over your shoulder telling you to do them. Like you have to actually go and do them. It is also it's hard to fucking have a day off. Yeah. It's hard to tell the boss that you are you know not coming in to work today in that situation so how do you particularly someone who is as prolific as you are but also has a family and has a life how do you work out the prioritization of those things i've gotten better i think even from when we last spoke because i I recall i think we 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 drifted into the area of like me not being able to focus in constant in conversations Mm -hmm. with my wife that i We'll, 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 uh, something a word will set me off and I start thinking of a routine or, or, or something. So I, I've gotten better at compartmentalizing um, both what I need to be working on um, and and also have I spent enough time with the family? Do I know what's going on in my kids' lives? Um, <laughs> You know, like it's, you know, and like the, the smaller things. Do they have exams coming up? Uh, is there a big game coming up? Uh, are there friendship groups? Are they, you know, are they getting invited to parties? You know, um, are they sneaking? You know, uh, you know. <laughs> we had an incident recently where I wasn't completely sure if a, uh, a bottle of something alcohol had gone missing or not. You know, <laughs> we're like, uh, and yeah, it's interesting. And I had to do a little subtle investigation. <laughs> and you're also like, jury's out because I could have drunk no, this. No, that was the thing. I, it really was. Did I drink a bottle of wine and forget? And that, <laughs> so I had to, it was a very, that's why it was a very subtle investigation because I was really, really, there's a huge capacity for me to put my foot in it. Um, uh, so yeah, just, just, you know, and really just making sure. That you know that at the end of the week, I want you know, I if I'm going to have a drink at the end of the week, it's with Bridge, and and that's who I she's my drinking partner. And I did say to somebody recently who had you know spent a bit of time you know over the years drinking at the, the, the local footy club where they're involved. You know, we're having a chat and it got a little bit serious. And I said, mate, if you're drinking with anyone else, yeah, you know, if you're drinking with anyone else more than you're drinking with your wife, um, or you know, or partner, um, then there's something wrong with that. I, th- I think, I think so. Um, so Bridges always Bridges, Bridges is my drinking partner. 
Okay, so we talk about now, you mentioned also ambition. So you talked about this idea of going, you know, we've worked, it's worked out quite well, you know, so far, fingers crossed, mm. touch wood, mm. like throw away line or something that no, is I've always been, top of your mind now? No, not just now. I've always been very aware that we are in a long game, Will Anderson. <laughs> like, you know, we started, <laughs> I was 21 when I started, you were a similar age. Um, and... So we have to, in a really hard industry, a really, you know, competitive industry, uh, that's gotten bigger, you know, tenfold since you know 1996. Um, you know uh, that it's a long game, and you know I I I need to support uh, um, a family and trying to balance then, you know, uh, economic commercial choices with what fulfills me uh, creatively and. Um, you know, I'm proud to say that I've I've said no to a lot of commercial decisions. I know certainly you have, um, uh, because it didn't fuel my uh, either creativity or it, that it would actually interrupt my family, um, you know, uh, time. Um, so it hasn't all been. I, I don't do anything, you know, um, just purely for the economic reasons. But you know, th- th- there's no doubt. You know, I'm a I'm a father of three and uh you know you have to consider that and that could be whether it's a you know a a corporate gig that you want to do or you know um you know a a tv show or or, or not but you know um yeah that's that's always a balance but i've been always been aware that it's it's a long game i'm 45 so my dad retired his first night off work as a retired man was the opening ceremony of the sydney olympics in 2000 he was 53 years old I'm, that's eight years away for me. I'm not retiring in, in, in eight years. I don't want to retire uh, in eight years. I might my career might look different, you know, than it, than it does now, and I kind of hope it does. Um, um, uh, I hope I'm making, you know, <laughs> still some still some uh, some coin. But um, uh, I, I I've got what, twenty more years of doing this, you know, maybe more. It's a, and that could, you know, well, yeah. do you do you do you think that that is a, a, like a genuinely achievable thing? Like, is the idea of because there has not been traditionally what happens a lot of the time with older comedians, in particular, people who work in comedy, because comedy is such an ever evolving art form that it can be increasingly difficult not to, I guess, just get edged out of the industry, particularly in Australia, I think, where we have a real fascination with youth and young things and new things. Like, is there, do you ever worry that, you know, there is a new generation here now and it's time for the older generation to step back and step away and the opportunities will, we might not want to retire, but we might be retired (laughs) without our permission. Yes, Yes, I, I, I did. Did Becky Lucas ask you to ask that question? Um, <laughs> no, I, 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 I. She said, "Can you ask Peter when he's going to leave?" But I kind of yeah. tried to make it a bit nicer. Tommy Little wants me to uh, give up my seat on the project. I'm pretty sure. Um, but no, I've, I've never. That's one thing I'll say, hand on heart. I've never. I've always wanted to be a a um, you know. Um, a, a significant member of a of a strong community, you know, and um, I've never, I've always welcomed. Um, I think uh, the younger, you know, up and coming uh, comedians, 
Um, I, I, I want this this industry to be strong. I want this community uh, to be strong. Um, uh, now, does that mean that, um, uh, you know, my career, like I said, in, in eight years' time, ten years' time, might look different. I might do less stand-up than I do, you know, than I do now. I, I might not be on the project. It might be about writing books and, and you know, uh, directing uh, TV shows, you know. So that's always been part of the plan as well to kind of you know to branch out so it's not i'm not just relying on selling tickets because yeah it's 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 um as i get older it'll be diminishing you know returns to the point actually even um this festival i just decided i think that you know and i did the uh, the art center which is an amazing place to play and then i just went and saw other 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 shows at comedy republic and and, and various places, and I, I started just doing you know uh, gigs leading up, but I was doing like small rooms, the you know, European Beer Cafe in in the basement there, and, and like I said, Comedy Republic, and this really in, enjoying it more than I I think I ever had. I think I've only done those rooms really just to work up material, but I only did three shows at the Art Center, so I was kind of like I had all this material that I wanted to perform more. I wish I did more shows, so I was. I started just doing these smaller rooms, and I actually went back after the festival. The week after the festival finished, I, I booked in for the, uh, to the basement. I just did Dave O'Neill's you know, room, which is you know like a I don't know how many people, maybe one twenty, and I just really enjoyed it. And I used to kind of have a bit of a fear factor of those rooms, and I think like I can imagine myself doing a, a fest next festival season in a in a in a hundred and twenty hundred and fifty seat room, just because it's it what. It's it scared me for a little while, you know, to do those rooms and be so close, you know. Um, where I think in theatres, if I found I, you could hide a little bit more, not completely, you know, you can never completely hide on stage when you when you be there for you know, 60, 70 minutes telling jokes. Um, I mean, it's a bit unfair to the audience when all you're really offering is your presence to, <laughs> to spend the entire 70 minutes hiding from the audience. There's going to be some people sitting there going, I'm not sure that we needed to come out for this. Yeah, I reckon uh, at the 35-minute mark, people are going, I don't know. I mean, the first 20 were good. I thought I it's knew where he was kind going. kind of funny at the start, but I'm not sure he's even here. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it's... it's um. Uh, so I, I, you know, I, I don't fear I'm in competition with anyone, and that might be I, I might be completely naive about that, and maybe I am, but I, I'm not. I'm not trying to compete with, um, you know, uh, the Joel Creases and and and, and Becky Lucas's, um, and you know, the great young, you know, comics um, that are coming through, you know, and 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 this is I don't, I'm not sure if this fits in here perfectly, but I'll just give a shout out to Geraldine Hickey who. You know, won the uh, the award in Melbourne recently, and just I could not have been happier for Jess. Now, Jess isn't necessarily an up and coming comedian because she's been doing it, you know, longer than I actually had even remembered. To be honest, you know, I, 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 she it was on my podcast, and I went to do the intro. I said you started like two thousand and eight. She's like, no, two thousand and one or something like like not long after I started. And to see, you know, um, to see where she had started, and to see her do all the all those tough gigs, and 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 to have the success she's having now, I'm just like completely buoyed and inspired and thrilled uh, for her. Yeah, it's a pity she's such a terrible person in that's, her life. That's that's it. Know? But that will come out. That will come out. Yeah. Yeah. Eventually, all those horrible opinions she has about <laughs> minorities yeah. will come out. Yeah. I mean, I, I I won't be the one who lets the cat out of the bag, but others will. 
Yeah, but it, in her case, I will say it is literally a series of cats in bags. She yeah. keeps cats in bags all over the house. And, and, and really horrible stuff. The, the the expression, enough room to swing a cat, actually comes from Geraldine Hickey. That she actually swings cats to measure rooms in her house. Uh they're probably the most universally beloved member of the Australian comedy community. I can't think of anybody who would have more general regard, partly just because she's an incredibly good person, but partly because what you're talking about, which is she just kept going. Yes. When the industry wasn't sending her any signs that it was worth going, when audiences would send her some signs but not enough signs that it was worth going, she kept going. She was just... She, she, she just kept presenting herself... Until people were just like, fuck, hang on, we've got to start paying more attention to this. And every bit of success she's having at the moment is incredibly well-deserved. My favourite thing about it is that she's also loving it. I think because it took so long, she because yes. I, I, I saw her also at the Art Centre at the Playhouse. And uh, she was going, because one of her first extra shows. So she's playing a small room. For people who don't know, that, yeah, so she's playing a reasonably small room, yeah. like a pretty decent sized room but her season is going so incredibly well she has this incredible gala spot like a genuine standout best on ground gala spot in some really good galas um she's already got a huge melbourne following from triple r she got nominated for the best show award the last time there was a festival so she was very much in place to be doing a good show she rocks up at the festival she's doing an incredible show she's just completely on top of her game she's understood how to make a show for these times. I think it was a perfectly pitched show for here's something that's really interesting to talk about, but you know, fits within the times that we're currently living in. Yep. It, like it reflects them. It's about them, but it isn't just all about them in a way that audiences couldn't respond to. Yeah. So she suddenly is you know, now getting booked in these huge venues for special shows. So I see her backstage at the Playhouse and the look on her face, like the excitement of her... Like walk, yeah, like when just even walking out onto the stage, like all this sort of stuff. And she turns to me and she goes, Does this feeling ever go away? And I just say, Yeah, no, it does. You'll get very used to this very quickly. But, <laughs> but it also reminded me that it's so beautiful that she does, like, I tried to appreciate it more. You know, through her eyes, even. Yeah. Like the fact that I was there for two weeks. Why wasn't I as excited about the fact that I was doing my show there for two weeks as she was about doing her show there for one night? Yeah. Like, it, I mean, I already was. I think you were probably the same. Going back to stand-up after it being away, after it being taken away, there was an extra appreciation of yep. not only getting to do it, but the fact that, particularly in Melbourne, people were taking a big risk to come out. Not that they were putting themselves in danger, but a lot of them hadn't been out. Mm. A lot of them hadn't sat in a room with other people and laughed and done something that they'd been told for the last 12 months was something that was dangerous to do. Yeah, The fact that those people decided, okay, I'm going to go out and take a risk on sitting in your audience because this is what I want to do for my first time back in the house. It is a huge honour. And to see that reflected through Geraldine's just approach... Yeah. I couldn't have been more excited for her when she won it. No one deserved it more. Absolutely. And you're right. I mean, so I did it, yeah, like I said, Dave's room on Wednesday night. And it's just, it's a, you know, for those who haven't been there, it's a, it's a suburban um, pub and, you know, they, it's just chairs and tables. They do a meal and and, uh, and and your comedy night. And I've done it before and and I have to rush there from the project. So sometimes I'm like, oh, why did I book a gig, a gig you, know, uh, you know, straight after work? But there was just a, 
like for the first time I was like, and I'm, I always enjoy it once I'm there, you know. Um, but for the first time I was like, I was just all day just looking forward to it. It was just a different feeling that I've ever had as far as, you know, approaching that gig. And I was just, I, and I can only put it down to the idea that, I, you know, stand-ups back, crowds are back. And it's just, there's a feeling in Melbourne at the moment that hasn't gone away yet. And it, it's, and I've had, you know, lots of friends from Sydney and, and other places, you know, come down and they notice it. Like when lockdown finished, I caught up with Limo at the pub, you know, and, and uh, it was just like, there was a vibe. There was just this vibe. It was like, it was, a, it was like the Grand Prix, the Australian Open, everything, all the festivals were happening at once, but none of them were actually happening. It was just the feeling that you have, you know, grand final. This is a feeling, it's like a festival, but no actual festival. It's just, it's just, it's just in the ether. And, and it was so exciting. And I remember saying to people, I wonder how long this will last. And I have to say, we're recording this in, 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 uh, in May. It's, I still feel it. I still feel this city being appreciative and, and grateful and, and um and proud and it's a really it's it's really contagious so so when i'm driving off to do you know to, to play to 120 people in, in in fairfield i'm really excited to be doing that did it change your perspective on your comedy at all i mean you had a i'd love to know what your insight into the lockdown period was because you were in a bit of a weirder world where you still have like a regular job and not just a regular job that you got to keep doing, but a regular job that is in the middle of reflecting the big news that was going on in the world. So what was that COVID time, particularly 2020, like for you in the middle of it? Yeah, it, it was, I mean, I count myself very lucky because I got to go to work. You know, one just kept the job, you know, uh, so, which took pressure off the family. And and, um, and also I got to leave the house, which is good for me and it's good for my family that I can leave the house. And, and also just bring different conversations, you know, back to the house um, and different experiences. Um, from a work perspective, uh, like I said, I was happy to be working. It was, you know, it was a grind at times. We lost our audience, you know, which I guess affects me more than it does my, my fellow uh, panellists uh, on that show. Um, but I weirdly, after a while, got used to that and didn't mind it so much because it meant, um, it meant we weren't being dictated, uh, by, by an audience as far as when to move on. Sometimes we'll be talking about an issue. I'll get a gag in there. It'll get a laugh in the audience. And the natural thing off a laugh is to move on to the next subject. Now, because there was no audience, I could do a joke whenever I wanted and then we could just still continue with the conversation. So we thought that the show had a different flow to it and my co-hosts were very good at leaning in uh, you know, to support me and, and the other comedians uh, on, on, the, on the show. Uh, and as far as home uh, goes, uh, to be honest, we have a real nostalgic feeling for lockdown one, you know, um, it was all board games and, you know, we found that the kids maybe didn't hate hanging out with us as much as we thought they might. Um, <laughs> and, you know, we we did silly things. We went on little pub crawls around the um, around our house with the, just me and Bridge and, and uh, you know, ended up posting them online and... and um, and, uh, and yeah, we just, we just kind of engaged with each other and it was really quite... It's quite lovely. Like I know my, uh, I think Bridge really misses it. She doesn't, she doesn't want to go back to it, but you know, we, we have tried to work out what can we take from that experience. Um, and I think some of it is just you know that idea of being making time and, and having fun together and, and and you know, 
being silly sometimes and and um uh so that that's that's been good and then lockdown two happened and that was that was tougher you know that was i think for, for all victorians and, and melbournians it was that felt like a slog you know um you could see the kids getting a bit more restless um you know they miss their friends they miss their sport um that was that that, that was uh that was tougher mm. how do you like deal with the situation like that with your kids because there's so much going on the first thing is yeah absolutely you know suddenly their educational situation has changed but I think most importantly to kids at that age you know their friendship circle has changed the fact that they're not going to you know like you said play sport do their activities whatever it is that interesting and changes but there's also this huge kind of dark cloud hanging over the future yeah, uh, you know, like how much of that dark cloud are they aware of? How much of it do you let in? Do you have to be careful about not letting the idea that we're in the middle of this global pandemic overwhelm them? Well, I'm lucky in that uh, my kids are at an, at an age where, first of all, we didn't have to necessarily entertain them. As far as mm. you know, I've got friends who have toddlers, you know, or, or, or you know, babies who have just started walking, and and they have to, they need. 24 7 surveillance you know um my kids are 18 16 and, and nearly 13 so um they were obviously aware aware of stuff but we just our pure motive was to uh, and uh, was to make sure that they were happy you know that they um uh, and you know uh, and engaging with them on what was going on in the world and this not necessarily to inform them because they can inform themselves to a, to a degree but particularly the older ones but but by talking to them about it you kind of get an insight of how they're feeling about it and that's more they can i think they understand how a pandemic works um but then the next thing is how do they feel about it and, and um, i was really proud of the way uh, they got through it um i mean to see it's funny to see some you know and a small percentage of people and it was played up more by you know, some media um, you know, the dissenters um, who, you know, thought it was a good idea to sing half of You're the Voice at Chadston um, in protest, <laughs> um, weird protests for mine. Um, did they see my kids, you know, a 12-year-old, a 16-year-old, and they didn't just get on with it, you know, just get on with it and understand. And I think most kids were like that. And I think, you know, when, when we have a go at millennials or kids, you know, uh, geez, we underestimate them sometimes because they – they just got on with the job. They they really did. And yeah, you know, Liam was doing year year, year twelve, and uh, they did not complain once. It was only probably in the last couple of weeks where two of my boys got to go back to school, and my sixteen year old was left behind at home. Just the way they they structured the, uh, going back, that he, I could tell he was really fed up with it because he's probably the more social one out of it. He's got the biggest friendship group, and and it was. And it was tough, but our, our absolute uh, uh, priority was to make sure they were happy, not even to the detriment of learning, like the curriculum that was set. It's like we just have to make sure that these kids come out of this on the other side happy. Isn't that an interesting insight, though? Because I've heard that from so many people. The amount of people who said Look, there were days where we just didn't do the schoolwork. Yeah, there were days where it was just more important for us to have fun, for us to connect. Isn't it then amazing to look at the pressure that we put on these kids without COVID involved? Yeah. Like normally when you're doing year 11 or 12, the messages that these children get about how important it is, how they've got to give up everything else to focus on their studies, you know, this is going to define the rest of your life. Now, that might not be the message you're giving because 
your life wasn't really like that no. either. You know, you've you've had a life that isn't defined by getting that you know, right score at university and then doing that course that leads you into that career. Yeah. And I think it's kind of a bullshit idea at the best of times anyway. Yeah. But so many people in this last year were just willing to go, oh, I think this is more important. Yeah. You know, I think I think this, you know, week, weekend, like it, it was the old equivalent of, you know, there'd be that family at your school that the kid would always be away on a Friday or a Monday because the family had just decided to go for a long weekend and so the kids didn't go in on a Monday. Yeah. And it was always really sneered at by everybody else, like look at how bad parents they are. But in retrospect, you're like, no, they were good parents. Yeah. That clearly is a better thing to be doing with your kids than whatever they're going to learn on that Monday or Friday at school. Absolutely. And we made a really big decision, you know, about seven years into our marriage. And we were just going through a, like a bit of a flat spot. And I, we wrote about this in, in a, the, the travel book that I wrote with my wife. Um, and, and, we, and we just decided to, the idea of going to a marriage counsellor came up. And it was kind of a frightening kind of thought because, you know, to say that word, that term, is kind of, you know, there's all kinds of alarm bells that, that can ring. But the way it was kind of put, you know, put, put to me was like, just get to it, get on the front foot with it. You know, like if, you know, if something doesn't feel right, don't you don't go to a marriage counsellor just when a marriage is broken. You know, you can go at any time or or, or a count, it doesn't have to be a marriage counsellor, a counsellor, a therapist, whatever. Um Go before the trouble, you know, started before the cracks even started, you know, getting too wide. So, you know, uh, Bridges was up for it, and we went. And the, the one real great lesson that came out of it was uh, the the uh, counselor said, "You can design your own marriage, right? You can." And I'd never thought of it. Like I just kind of thought I I got a really good blueprint of, of, of marriage from my parents who are still together, and that's you know my my in laws are you know celebrated their sixtieth wedding anniversary a couple of years ago. So on both sides, we've got this really great blueprint and that's how marriage looks to us. And for somebody then to say, well, no, you can design your own marriage. Now that can be many different things. That can be living in different houses, uh, sleeping in different beds, in different rooms. It could be, you know, I mean, having an open marriage, you know, uh, we went up for that bridge. Shut that idea, that idea down pretty quickly. Uh, <laughs> but, um, but, <laughs> but what the, the idea... <laughs> also, I, I love... Just so we're very I clear, I, I, I did not pitch that idea. <laughs> no, well, I love, the, I love that joke because... Of the two of you, I think that you'd be more worried that she'd do better than, <laughs> yes. than, than the other way around. Yes. In, in, in our marriage, <laughs> the worst thing I could, you know, the worst thing Bridge can do is probably be unfaithful to me. The, the worst thing I could do for Bridge, that she could imagine, is probably leave the fridge door open. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's what we're dealing with here. So, we, uh, yeah, and, and so we thought, okay, what does our marriage look like? What do, what do we want to prioritise? And we had very young kids, you know. Um, Oscar was probably one at that stage, uh, youngest. And um, we th- we said that we both missed traveling, you know, that we, we had somehow uh, subconsciously just both put traveling on the back burner. And Bridget traveled a lot, you know, before she met me. I had traveled a lot before I had met her. Um, we both loved traveling, but we, 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 just imag- we just thought decided that it wasn't going to be in our in our you know short-term future and then we said well, well what if what if it was um and then we decided this on that day we, we you know we, we're going to france in six months and we're going to go for like you know we'll do uh four weeks and um we'll do a month in france and we'll just do as much of france as we can 
with these kids who, by the time we left, I think it was seven, five, and two. Um, and it was it was incredible. And it was, you know, no, no doubt there were times when it was like hard and it's like, oh, what are we doing? And we had people who come up, would come up to us and go, well, what are you doing? <laughs> this, is, this is amazing. <laughs> you know? um, and, uh, but it was just the most incredible experience and then we two months later we were backpacking around eastern europe with the kids and and um so every two years we would decide we, we would go away um and now i find i you know particularly in lockdown i had a really like a real melancholy about the fact that those days are kind of over like liam's 18 he turns 19 in september is at uni you know like uh aiden's you know turning 17 later this year so they if, if they're going to come on holidays with us we're going to have to tailor the holidays to them and for them, you know, it's going to have to be, you know, skiing in Japan or, you know, following the Boston Celtics around uh, the US when the US opens back up and we're allowed to go. Um, so it, it won't just be, let's go to Italy or, you know, like it'll have to be something that excites them for, if we want to maintain these family holidays. So I'm not sure if it's, you know, if it's possible. So the idea and the thought that are our family holidays over was really like, it really got to me like during uh during lockdown so things ending is one of the themes of an episode of uh how to stay married that you sent me so what is it episode four of the current season Epis- was that the yeah. episode you sent me episode four yeah it um so it- so i've seen it i like i don't know how much you know you kind of want to reveal of it you know in this conversation so why don't you start by explaining to me just a little bit about the episode and to the listeners a little bit about the episode what it tackles why you wanted to tackle it reveal as much or as little as you want to and we'll use that as our parameters of the conversation going from sure um so the episode starts off we have uh, our daughter chloe uh her pet turtle uh hannibal uh passes away and and M is very keen on discussing the idea of um, uh, of death and the and the afterlife. Where Greg has uh, he really does not want to go into those areas uh, with with Chloe or with, or with anyone. The idea, he's he's basically scared to talk about death um, and and, uh, and what it means. Um, and then uh, it kind of broadens out to. Um, the idea of religion as well, and and we we find that Greg and M have um, kind of conflicting ideas of 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 what they believe, and um, I was really interested in the idea that you could be you could know somebody for as long as you do, as well as you do. They've been married for basically as long as I have, which is about eighteen years, and um, and and not know that that you had different plans for the way you want to be buried or, or, or you know, um, Greg assumes that they're both going to be buried together. Um, and this is news to him. <laughs> you know, she wants to be cremated. Um, and the idea that one, uh, you know, Greg believes, you know, they are, they are Catholics and, and this is kind of news to him. She doesn't, she thought they'd have sent, uh, you know, um, they were Catholics to get into a good school and to, um, <laughs> to do it, you know, all the things that maybe being a Catholic brings. But, uh, so, yeah, it, uh, you know, it, it's a bit of a different episode for us. You know, it, it kind of it's a, a, a kind of a, more of a talky episode. There's not, you know, there's not as many stunts or anything like that. It's just uh, there's, there's a lot of conversation going on. Uh, so why? Why? Firstly, let's start with the why. Why this episode? Why was this a topic that you wanted to tackle? And because this is also an episode, I believe that you like you have written and directed. Is that right? Yes, I I, I co-wrote the episode uh, with uh, Vidya Rajan. Um, 
and uh, she's fantastic. Um, and I directed the episode. Um, and yeah, I was very keen because I, you know, when we the episodes are written, um, they ask me. Usually, I do two episodes, and this year I just took a bit of a step back and just did the one episode. And and they asked me which episode do I want to write, uh, direct, and I I really like this one um, because I've always had a fascination. Uh, with death and and you know I think we do and the older I, the longer I do comedy and I'm, I'm not sure if you feel the same way the more you realize how much you are exploring um through your comedy and and and, and what you put out into the world now not everything you know a viral Wednesday on on the project I'm not exploring any you know <laughs> anything I'm just showing funny <laughs> clips on the internet um but you know uh we are, we are lucky. We are blessed to uh, be in a job where we can devote time to exploring ideas and how how we feel about them. Um, yeah. So- Firstly, I would I would argue, I would argue the point even further about the um, uh, the viral uh, stuff on the project because I mean I think like realistically even that stuff you know your your wacky stuff in the middle of a like a show like that is literally for the purpose of us you know, staving off the idea of thinking about death constantly. Like you've just seen a story about all these people getting bombed or in a war or someone getting murdered. Then you get to what we use the internet for, what those viral clips really are, which is for us to distract ourselves from the fact that, you know, we're all going to die possibly really soon and we have little or no control over when or where it's going to happen. And if we thought about that constantly, you know what, let's watch this viral clip. There is actually, that itself is also about death. It is just a reaction to the idea that we are constantly surrounded by it, I would argue. Well, it's funny. I've certainly heard, you know, you mention it over the years and, and you know, I've certainly spoken about it. You know, we often play down the role of comedy and, you know, I've heard you say, you know, you tell dick jokes for cash and, and you know, we, we constantly undersell comedy. I think when we're, we're in lockdown, another thing that happened was I realised, you know, that comedy is important. Now, you can get rid of me, and you know, comedy's not not impacted. But if you get rid of comedians, you know, then well, that's that's a whole different thing. I mean, that's how depressing is a world without comedians, you know, and a world without art, you know, and and the arts is uh, you know has been this the whole industry has been almost decimated. Well, you know, attempted uh, to be decimated, and it's you know, I think surviving, and 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 now hopefully you know getting back to where it once was, but. The idea when I went into lockdown, I thought, okay, what can I do? I'm not a first responder. I'm not. A, I'm not on the front line. But what can I do? And the, what I realised is the one thing I can do is just put content out into the world. So that was the the one kind of thing I thought I could be of some assistance here. So you know, we put ha- that series of How to Stay Married earlier on 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 where you could stream it on Template earlier than its release date, and not knowing how that would even impact. The, the possibility of getting a third series. We just thought, no, people need some entertainment. Let's just put it out. It was a very quick conversation when Channel 10 asked me about that. You know, I started doing more, you know, uh, online content than I usually do. You know, I Strawny kind of started doing, you know, videos and, and, um, and I just thought, this is the one thing I can do. I can actually try to help by making people laugh. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and the responses I got were, were really heartwarming, you know, and, and we did a segment which is basically Viral Wednesday but more focused on the lockdown called Life in Lockdown. And it really became the messages I got from people about this silly segment about what people were doing in lockdown. It meant 
a lot more than I ever thought it possibly uh, it, it would. And when it ended, people were like this, either like sad, oh, can you keep it going? Or, or just like saying thank you for that. That got us through um, uh, lockdown. So it's it's one of those things, I know it's 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 not cool to talk up comedy when you're a comedian and, and we, we, we underplay it. Um, but it was, last year was a moment where I, I really thought, no, comedy has a you know as as a significant place um in in our society yeah because i mean look i've clearly joked about it you know i mean we immediately found out how non-essential workers we were you know the idea of laughter being the best medicine well it turns out in a time when people are sick (laughs) laughter is not the best medicine yeah peter halley is not in a room with joe rogan and sarah silverman coming up with the perfect routine to cure covid but (laughs) i will say that i think it forced us to think a little bit more about why it's important. Yeah. So just assuming that it's important, it's everywhere, it's popular, it must be important. I think the year in lockdown made us all think a little bit more about why is this important? Why is it important to me as a performer, but why is it important to my audience? What are they getting out of it? Suddenly when you realise the sacrifices that people have to make sometimes to access what you do, particularly in a live sense, you know, get yeah. out of their house, like, you know, get a babysitter, spend money that they perhaps don't have at the moment because the economy is tough, all these sort of things. I think that you think more about A, what you're doing and then B, what the audience is getting out of what you're doing and that relationship is closer. I hope it doesn't... I mean, one of the things for me was the podcast. I mean, last year... I mean, I, you know, silly enough, had kind of, you know, decided I was going to do an entire year of just doing stand-up pretty much. And that was a bad thing to do going into 2020, it turns out. So I had, you know, basically an entire year of work go away. And I kept doing the podcast partly because, you know, my only contribution I could make was to put out some, you know, some entertainment for people, but partly because the audience, the people who supported on Patreon, those sort of were there to support me. Yeah, for months last year, it was the only way that I was paying any of my bills. It certainly wasn't covering all of them, but it was at least at least I felt like I was doing something yeah. and it wouldn't have been without that direct connection between the audience saying, we are going to give you some money from this. And I know a lot of those people would have been probably going through hard times of their own, but it just decided, you know, even if it's a dollar a month, I'm going to try to support what you're doing. So let's take it back to how to stay married. So this episode, where does wanting to tackle this come from and and the, particularly the way that it gets tackled in the show? Yeah, I, I guess, um, uh, like I said, I've always had a fascination with death. Um, I lost uh, a cousin of mine when we were, um, we were both the same age, we are both eight years old, and he, he died uh, uh, of leukaemia. Um, and and he was the only cousin around my age. Like the, my other cousins had cousins that's their own age, and he was like my he was my mate in the cousin group. And uh, I lost him, and and I still have very kind of vivid memories of the night, you know, being at the the dinner table at home, um, and and mum wasn't home weirdly, and and then seeing uh, the the lights come up the driveway on the on the brick wall. And uh, into our window, and Mum walking into the house with my auntie, who was, it was this has never happened. What's my auntie doing? And they were both crying, and then being told that Matt had uh, had uh, passed away. Um, and uh, you know, uh, my my siblings kind of comforting me, you know, when I was just in tears, and and all I wanted was them to go away and leave me alone. Um, 
And, you know, and then they had uh, like a, a oh, I'm not sure what the technical term is, but a, a, a viewing of the, the, the body. And, and it was like this done, you know, uh, on a, I went to my cousin's house and, and he was there like, you know, white and, and cold and, and his body had been laid out from memory just on a coffee table. You know, like it was, it was, it's kind of surreal and a little bit bizarre, I think, and and then all eyes being on me, and this like you know, you know, his mum saying, "Go give him, you know, say goodbye to him," and having to say goodbye, you know, like in um, kind of in front of everyone, and and not sure what am I, what does saying goodbye to a dead body look like, and 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 how do I do this, and and then that led to questions about religion, and you know, I went through the stage of, well, if there is a God, how could God allow this to happen, and and um, and nobody really answered, you know, and I I think. Everyone was grieving at the time, and nobody really, you know, I think answered those questions. I probably didn't ask those questions, but nobody spoke to me. I think, you know, we probably handle things differently in, you know, in 2021 than we did, you know, in uh, 1983. Um, so I've always been fascinated by it. So this was, I was keen to look at how the Butler family would handle a, a death. We didn't want to kill off one of our human characters so we you know the, 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 and pets I think represent a good opportunity to talk about death um, uh, with your kids and this is the idea that one parent that does not I mean, want it's part, it's part of the reason that people get pets let's be honest is that you, you tend to get a pet for your children so that eventually as hard as it is you can have a conversation around when something dies yeah, that, absolutely, absolutely. Um, we're unfortunate; all of our pets are still alive after all these years. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're healthy. Um, yeah, I was weird. You got an elephant. They don't live for like ninety years. <laughs> so, <it's, laughs> peace, guy. Come out, kids, out to the pool. I've got your blue whale. So, anyway, <laughs> eventually you'll learn about death. Actually, pretty soon because it's in our swimming pool and it cannot survive in there. Our cat did deliver a decapitated uh, mouse to our back doorstep a, a few weeks ago. So that was probably too much of a lesson. That's more. That's, that's, that's more. That's more terrorism or something. Yeah, I was going to say when when somebody loves murders somebody else. That's, that's an important lesson yeah. too. Kids season, gather out. Season five of How to Stay Married. Let's talk about ISIS. Um, so, um, uh, so, and and then. You know, it's it's in in our marriage. Um, I think there's a kind of complicated relationship with religion because I married um, Bridge, and she's you know uh, Irish Catholic, and, and you know, uh, um, and you know, she had very similar kind of experiences growing up. Um, but there has been um, there's been in her, her on her side of the family, there's been you know. Um, there's been uh, family members who have been molested by priests, um, so that brings up a very complicated, you know, um, relationship with with the with the religion, coupled with me never completely knowing, you know, what is out, you know. Uh, I think we discussed this last time, and I know you're not supposed to know. Nobody knows, but um, you know, I haven't committed to the idea that I believe there is a God, or if I haven't, and maybe I just need to go on a walk and. <laughs> And, and figure it out uh, for my for my own you know viewpoint um so i think bridge is probably more religious than me even though she's got that complication complicated relationship with the church i think she tries to separate the church and the religion um and i'm like oh i don't know you know like you know there's a line in, in the um 
in there where M points out that we so in the in the series M's the one saying that she, we're not religious and Greg's saying we well, we are religious of course we're religious and there's a line where M says we we only go at Christmas time and last year we didn't go at all and my character says well yeah because there were roadworks and it would have been almost yeah. impossible to get a car park <laughs> and that, and that like there have been times I think we have probably skipped going to church because of that <laughs> like, like flimsy flimsy reasons but I think there's an underlying thing of maybe that year Bridge not feeling like she really can be in, in that church for whatever reason and um, and me just being okay with not going um, so the idea that you, you know these two people who love each other who have been together for so long could, could this have and it doesn't even have to be religion as far as if you want to put your own filters on it could be anything that you discover I was just fascinated with anything that could be these people who have known each other and loved each other for so long that they just and it would seem really important uh, but they just actually haven't really kind of had this discussion yet, um, and I think you can apply that to to uh, lots of different things. But this is you know uh, where we found ourselves. But part of it, I think, and part of the charm of the episode, it's a really fantastic episode because it manages to not be an afternoon special of any kind. There's no sense of this is our very serious episode of, you know, yeah, how to stay yeah. married. It is still played for laughs. Like there is a comic extension that comes from each of these things. You know, it does get played out to a comical yes. degree eventually, but there is genuine insight at the heart of it all. I mean, you've got this couple who clearly don't, I think engage with religion in a lot of similar ways to most people, which is they kind of say that they are a thing, but they've never really engaged with how important that is to each of them and how that importance manifests itself and whether it's more important, as you said, to just believe something and not go to church versus the idea of like going to church or, you know, getting christened, but not going like, you know, yeah. like not engaging all these sort of themes, but that it took a death to really bring it home because in that moment of death there's these two parents and there's two separate instincts one parent's instinct is to say here's what's happened this is the teachable moment this is you know we always knew that at some stage we were going to have to talk about death this is how we talk about death and then the other you know greg's yeah greg in this situation the one who does not want to see his daughter cry and in yeah. fact he's very proud of the fact that his daughter isn't crying. Yeah. Like he, he can't quite work out why he's not getting a little pat on the back for yeah, coming up with a good story about heaven on the spot to you know make sure that his daughter isn't sad. And he's like trying to remember good times and all these instincts that are incredibly natural. Now, they're both played comedically and they're played at extremes to have some fun with it, mm. but they're very real insights. Can you remember the first time that you did have to talk to your kids about death and what your instincts were? You know, were your instincts to kind of make it all feel nice and better or were your instincts to have that serious conversation? No, we've always, me and Bridge have always been on the same page as that stuff. Like we are very, yeah. we try to be as straight shooting as as uh, we, we, we can be. So um, I, I must say, I, I forget the, the exact time we had the conversation about death and, 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 I do know that it, it certainly with their older boys, it, it played out in a way where it was listen, it was somebody who uh, it was a distant relative in a way. Um, it was like probably their their great great grandmother, or, or you know, where it, it they weren't. I'm not even sure if they had ever met them, you know. So it was a conversation we could have that where they weren't uh, emotional um, uh, about it. Um, 
and it might have been an auntie as well for for then for then Oscar. So, uh, but I, we've always committed to the idea of being kind of straight shooting, which I think is really important that when we start having conversations as they get older about things like you know consent, you know, like that is. You know, there's no point. We don't get the tacos and the milkshakes out. You know, in a, in a, in the Hellier household, we we have a very kind of straight conversation about it, and it's it's not about painting. You know, uh, analogies and and um, metaphors. It's it's this is what you don't do. This is what you know. Um, this is what you know. This is what you, you, you this is, these these are the boundaries, um, and uh, and you got to stay within them. Is it hard to like? I mean. In particularly with boys, because you know we've been boys, we understand all the you know hormones and bad decisions. Like yeah. you're an AFL fan, and, and recently in the AFL fan in the AFL, there's like you know been some younger players, you know, kind of make mistakes. It's generally a theme of professional sport. Like some of them clearly are things that you know legal mistakes. Fair enough. That's a whole different thing. People have to, you know, be responsible legally to, you know, the laws of the land and blah blah blah. But I often think that like older footballers, older commentators, you know, people of our age look back and judge boys like they have the wisdom that we have now as men. And I look back at shit that I did in my twenties, in my thirties, probably still even that I hopefully through what I know about the world now and how I perceive the world and how I understand my relationship to other people wouldn't repeat if I was in the same circumstances. But when you look at these kids that you love and that you, I'm sure you trust and adore and all these things, you also have to, I imagine, think of the worst influence they will have the worst situation they will have that time they'll just they'll drink too much or they'll do whatever it is that puts themselves into a situation where they may make a bad decision is it tough to look at your own children and have to assume kind of explain like the kind of the worst case scenario or do you not have to how does that work i don't really i mean i don't have kids yeah, of mine so i'm not I haven't, sure i haven't we haven't necessarily done like that we've just been very honest and open with our expectations and, and and that they kind of drive their own standards as well. Like I've spoken to a lot mm-hmm. of them about you need to think about your own, what you stand for. And then if you, if you work that out, then you will know when you're drifting away from that and then you have something to come back to. Um, and we've always preached, you know, respect for women as being, um, as being maybe the highest priority. Um, it's, um, yeah, and I, I think if you can raise boys who have respect for women, then I think you're halfway there. Because I think if you think of, you know, a lot of the, the troubles that boys can get into, if you if you, if you remove that, 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 that it's not going to be out of a disrespect for women, then I think you, you remove a lot of the um, areas for trouble. You're right. It would clear up. I mean, I'm yeah. It would clear up most of it. Yeah. Nine out of ten things you'd imagine if you can. Yeah. Deal with the cause of the problem, which is, yeah, not seeing somebody else as a lesser. Yes. Yes. Then, so 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 much so much else is solved by that alone. Yeah. That that that's smart. That makes sense. I, you, I reckon you might be a good dad, Pete. Well, you know, um, <laughs> you know what, what, what I was going to say. We nearly at the finish line, but I I I realised. <laughs> I realise that you know it never stops. There's a great line in 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 uh, in, in, in parenthood, you know, where um, it, it, they just make the point in parenthood that it just 
goes on forever. Like you think you're out, you think, and I'm not at close to this stage. I've, you know, I've got a, you know, a 12 year old, a 16 year old, an 18 year old, but you kind of it, it, naively, I think when you're at ground zero with your kids, you think, you know, once they're older, it'll be, you know, they will just take care of themselves. And, and, you know, like there's a part of that. I mean, my older son's gone through, like had some big life moments recently. He got his license. He's got two jobs. Now he's at university, um, like, you know, big milestones, and you know, I worry about him as much as I worry about you know, you know, all, all the kids. You know, and and there's you know as much as Alan is driving on roads now and and um, you know going to parties. You know, um, and yeah, you worry about it. But you also, I think you get you get used to the worry, or you just kind of learn to live with that. It's it's um, yeah, it's 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 strange. Uh, so this episode of um, how does stay married it, it it genuinely dives into both death and religion was there any pushback at all from anyone do you have the freedom within this production to be able to make those choices that go in that direction was there anybody who was like oh, i'm not sure this is what the show is about um no no there, there there wasn't actually um we kind of this committed to the idea that this this could feel like a, a slightly different episode of, of the series. Um, like you said, without getting, you know, like it doesn't, it doesn't turn into a drama, but it, it's, you know, it's, um, and it's funny. That was, that was the first filter was like, it's, we got to make it funny still, you know, like, but I think we're always in all, all the, the episodes where, where there's a point to be made that we're trying to make. And, and, um, um, and certainly over the series, there's, you know, there, there's a, there's a, a point that we're, we're making about the way I think, well, certainly I view society uh, and, you know, one of the issues with society. But um, um, but with this episode, no, when we handed it into the network, that was the only time we really got a little, a little bit nervous. It's like, oh, I wonder if they're going to be okay. Even though they'd seen the scripts and, you know, like, um, yeah, we just kind of thought, I wonder if they're going to be okay with it. And they were, they were great. They were really supportive. Um, and... You know, it helps when you got Judith Lucy in there as well, like being being great with you know a younger daughter, and and that was one of the things we wanted to get across as well. This idea of, you know, because uh, I think it's important to be honest for our kids to be taught at school, even if they go to a Catholic school, they should be they, they should have other ideas presented to them. I'd, I'd, I would have loved to have learnt more about the other religions when I grew up, and I find myself as a forty five year old still being a little bit naive as to what other religions stand for so there's a you know a scene where where judith's character audrey is you know just taking through chloe what other religions believe you know what happens in the afterlife and um and that was a you know a, a nod to that idea of like wouldn't it be great if we could actually present different ideas to our to our kids and I do think that what you're saying is like, and I believe that some schools do it, of course. I mean, obviously, yes. if you're going to a Catholic school, you're probably going to get a majority, like a Catholic view of what the world is. But yeah. there are some schools that will present a more, you know, what people believe. Here are comparative religions and what they believe. But I do think that imagine the good we could do as a society if we could just point out that there is something inherent in human beings across the world that makes them want to believe in some sort of central defining, you know, mythology or set of rules or set of stories that are about something. And a lot of them actually have a lot in common. You, yeah. you might find that, you know, Islam has actually a lot of stuff in common with Christianity and, you know, so does Hinduism and so does all these sort of things. No doubt, Imagine yeah. if you came out of school 
knowing that yeah, guys you're not even going to believe it some of the same characters are in each of the religions yeah <laughs> yeah you've, you've heard of jesus oh you know he pops up in some other stories as well you're going to love it there's going to be a little cameo it's going to be like watching a season and seeing one of your favorite characters pop up in the background he's not the lead in this one yeah. but he's definitely still in it <laughs> i know because what we come away with really are just the the aesthetics of the other religions you know the hijabs, right. or you know whatever it might be, or or, or Buddha. You know, I have, you know we have Jesus. They have Buddha. Jesus, Buddha's let himself go. You know, like you know, like it's it's you know our God's fitter than your God. You know, it's 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 um. So you you walk away this kind of being a bit judgy about the other. But you're not. It's not based on anything that they actually. The principles of those religions. It's just it's just it's based on the aesthetics of it. I mean, you could work with. Waleed, obviously, on the project, and has that given you a like oh. a, a greater insight into you know his religion? It was funny. I was watching uh, the weekly Charlie Pickering show. Speaking of shows that I think have been better without an audience, I think the weekly is one of the for whatever reason that show is a better show now that they don't have a studio audience. There are things that they are doing on that show, their capacity and just the way Charlie hosts it. I've found it being one of those things that I used to watch probably, if they did 10 episodes, I'd probably catch like six or seven in a series, you know, just to make sure I knew what was going on and always enjoyed them. But I watch it every week now and every week... I get to the end of the episode and go, gee, there's some really good stuff in the weekly this week. And Nazim Hussain did a really good piece about Eid the other day yes. where I was just like, I really, I'm kind of a, like a smart enough person. I certainly you know, read and live in a world where like people would consider me to be, I think, somebody who knew what was going on. And I knew that Eid was a thing. I had no fucking idea what it was, really. Like, yeah. if somebody had yes. asked me more than, like, I was, I'd be like, oh, yeah, it's a, a Muslim holiday celebration of some kind. Yeah. yeah. No follow-up questions. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Please don't ask me anything else. Uh, I love uh, I, I do love it. Whatever subject you're talking about where you, you, you've got your statement, but there's no follow-up questions. <laughs> no, no follow-up questions. I, I, I love chatting the one. And I have, the, the honest answer is I have learned a lot about, uh, you know, his religion um, uh, through him and, you know, a lot about many things uh, through Waleed. It's, it's an honour and you know, pleasure to have him as a mate and, and a work colleague. Um, I do love chatting to him with my tongue uh, firmly in my cheek, uh, you know, saying that Lent is as tough as Ramadan. Um <laughs> We had to give up something over 40 days, mate. Um, yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, we don't, to be fair, <laughs> yeah. but that is the rule. Yeah, we had to nominate something that we failed to give up. <laughs> That's for 40 days, mate. 40 days. Yeah. yeah. We have pancakes at the start, mate. <laughs> don't wait till you feast at the end. Yeah. Yeah. Have some pancakes at the start. Yeah, I think I did something once. I said, so for, uh, Ramadan's a bit like the 40 hour famine, yeah, but it's a little bit longer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And it, you know, like, and and what I I like, you know, I mean, I grew up thinking that Life of Brian was the funniest movie I'd ever seen, and it's, I mean, it meant so much to me. And I, so I've always grown up thinking that comedy and religion are not necessarily mutually exclusive. And, and you know, seeing Rowan Atkinson do you know fu- really funny sketches around religion and being the devil, you know. Uh, you know, welcoming all the religions, you know, to, to hell and, and um, all, the atheists and and and, uh, and all that, you know. Um, 
So I always kind of think comedy, you know, and 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 what I found with my lead as well, he, you know, he he sees, you know, he sees the humor. He can have a laugh. It's not, you know, I have you have this thing of, you know, um, you know, Muslims being very kind of serious and about that, you know, but they, they there is there is comedy there as well, you know, um, and uh, and that's been it's it, and it's, it's it makes it more, um, I don't know, you know, yeah, for me, uh, I can get my head around it a bit more. So it's not as it takes away. You know, you know some of the um, in- intimidation, I guess, by or, or the fear factor of getting something wrong, or, or you know, it, it's um, uh, yeah, it, it's 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 a nice way to kind of learn about a religion. And and yeah, it's always one of those things, isn't it? Religion, where I I think that there's probably a difference as I get older between I don't want to mock uh, you know somebody for believing in something. If something's really really super important to you and it's not hurting anybody else, then. I'm not going to mock you for, you know, having that in your life. Yeah. It's an important thing to have in your life. But, like, I mean, it's the ultimate in punching up. Like, you know, this is the big end of town religion. Like, if you can't <laughs> yeah. have some fun with it. Yes. And, of course, I think it should be big enough to know that it should be had fun with as well. You know, it shouldn't be afraid. I think Life of Brian is a great example because it got me much more interested in those Bible stories just to understand the jokes yes. in Life of Brian. Yes. I didn't come from a particularly religious place, but there's so many things in there where you're like, I know there's something going on here. I'm not really sure what it is that they're you know, making fun of. I'm now going to have to go away and learn what it is they're making fun of to even understand the joke here. Yeah, well, I tried to understand. For me, the only way to get my head around like, Jesus was to, to, to understand him as a, try to understand him as a human being, as a man on earth. You know, because uh, that's how he was presented to us. You know, and that's how he, he uh, you know, supposedly uh, arrived. So, and that led me to questions like, and I, you know, I've, I've done this in stand-up, like the idea of like, where is the teenage Jesus in the Bible? Like, why does it skip all these formative years? Like, surely, if if, if Jesus existed and walked the earth, there would be lessons the teenagers would take out of how he handled all those all those important things that happened in your formative years. Uh, so why, why, you know? And I actually would love to find out. Uh, apparently, I think there's somebody told me there's one reference to like a teenage Jesus in, in, at a market at some place, but there's no big lesson in there. He's just he's just a bit of you know, a bit of theatre. Um, but I would love to find Seems out. Seems like a missed opportunity. I think like that that I'd like you to write the the <laughs> the books of teen Jesus. <laughs> No, I would love to. I would love to maybe do a piece on a project, just finding out why, or does anyone know? Does anyone know what happened? Where was he? Um, but I, you know, but, but that is still my way of exploring. And it comes across, you know, um, if you're a devout Catholic and, and you get offended by, you know, anybody who takes, you know, um, appears to be taking the Mickey out of your religion. I, you know, I, I guess I can understand to an extent why you might get upset, but it's also it's still me trying to understand something. You know, and I think it's a, it's a fair enough question as well. Um, so yeah, I've always kind of you know, I, comedy and religion have always gone hand in hand. Uh, well, Peter, this has been uh, wonderful as it always is to catch up with you and hear what's going on. Um, you know, but I particularly wanted to talk to you about this episode because I was grateful that you sent it to me. I, I really did enjoy it, and I loved that not only what you're trying to do in regard to the relationships that you're portraying on television. You know, because there is a there is a kindness behind the work that you do. And I think that, you know, that's you saying to the world, I believe, you know, we could be a little bit more kind to each other. We can have some more fun with each other. We can laugh a little bit more. We can love each other a little bit more. But in general, we can just be a little kinder and forgiving of, you know, 
the joy of ordinariness in some ways, like the celebration of, you know, that, you know, life can sometimes be beautifully ordinary, you know? And I think that is such a great theme that comes through in your work. But I thought this episode in particular was something that I really wanted to point people towards because there's some great themes here that you're playing with and some excellent comedy that comes out of it as well. Um, uh, When people come back on the show, Pete, I've got two, well, uh, two things that I like I I need to ask. One's a new question that I would not have asked you last time, which is this. Uh, so it's as close as I have to an inspirational saying that I have on my desk. I have a little piece of metal and it just says on it, what what would you attempt if you knew you could not fail? That is what it, the question that it asks. And the idea that I take out of that is the idea of not thinking about whether things will work or not work or to orchestrate, to just like what is the project that you would like to do if, if you were guaranteed that it was going to be successful? What would you attempt if it was guaranteed that it would work? Okay, and, and can we put like, like a selfish kind of perspective? It doesn't, you know... Like, uh, absolutely selfish. Like, I, I would, like, no, like absolutely Pandemics selfish. aside and, and uh, you know, vaccines and health and, and peace and, and all that aside, um, I think if I knew I could, it wouldn't fail, I would I would write or direct a Star Wars movie. <laughs> that's the first thing I thought of. That's the first thing I thought of. But oh, I'd have to have those good. guarantees, which I'm not sure you can get a guarantee that you're going to have all the Star Wars fans on board, whatever you uh, you, you might you might come up with. But, um, um, yeah. That's I mean, good, though. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. That's a good answer. Because I really, I, like, directing for me was something that I was really fearful of. And I never thought, like, 10 years ago that, uh, or maybe a little bit more than 10 years ago, because I think 10 years ago I directed my first thing, but um, uh, that I just grew up not thinking I was ever going to direct it. I didn't have the, the language skills or the, or, and the know-how and, the, you know, to be able to control the, uh, a set and um, and be the person that everyone's looking at to, for the answers. It just petrified me, and, and um, I made a short film to find out if I enjoyed it and if I could do it, and I was happy with the result. I really enjoyed it, and it just went from there. And um, and I really enjoyed, like you know, and I don't like at the moment. I'm 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 directing episodes of How to Stay Married uh, around also doing the project and, and writing books. So like mm-hmm. like the idea of writing, uh, directing a film. Is still feels like a while away because I would need to basically clear a whole bunch of space for a whole bunch of time because I have so much respect for what directors uh, do and I've learned so much from the directors I've worked with. Uh, you really need to, you know, take that, you know, uh, really seriously. Um, so I can't, I can't, you know, I, I uh, directing a film would be the first step. Obviously, you don't walk into a Star Wars film and direct, but. Um, but and I, I, yeah, by the way, this is obviously a dream because it's, ne- it's never going to happen. It's never going to happen. <laughs> no, no. It's never going to happen. I, I feel like it's gone from dream to you really planning it out now. Yeah. So, that's, so uh, by by 2053, when Dad retired, I'll be making Star Wars films. Um, no. So yes. Um, so that's been like the, the I, I think a fear that I had that I've confronted and I, I, I I've made work and I so I'm, I'm quite proud of that. Um, so. And I, I say a Star Wars film because it's it's the biggest influence uh, as far as films go in my life. So um, and they're still going. So um, so if Tyker's listening to this, um, Tyker Watiti, just put a word. I mean, if Tyker's listening to this, by the way, come, uh, the come on the fucking podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, glad to have you as a fan. Glad that you've listened in. But also, please come on the come on the podcast. 
Uh, so you get a, a trip on a time machine. I, I would have offered you one last time, I'm sure. But uh, uh, you get a trip on a time machine. You can go forward into the future. You can go back into the past. You do not have to use it for, again, only for selfish reasons. I want an insight into you. You don't need to do it on behalf of the world. Where would you like to go on your time machine trip? I'm going to stick with the same theme, actually. I'm, I'm, and I'm going to, I'm going to like go on the set of... You know, like Citizen Kane or, 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 or something like that or, you know, All About Eve or I would love to just be on a, one of those old style Hollywood sets um, just to see how they run it and remind me that it wasn't, life wasn't all in black and white to see those things in colour, <laughs> I think would be, would be, would be nice. Um, uh, outside of that, I've always had a fascination with Roman, Roman times, Colosseum, you know, um, that that would be uh, that would be uh, fascinating, but um, yeah, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna off the top of my head, I'm just gonna. It's the first thing that came to me that I would go back to like an old Hollywood set and just just take it all in. Well, speaking of movies and speaking of podcasts, you have a movie podcast. It's called You Ain't Seen Nothing Yet. That's right, isn't it? That is um, correct. And uh, I wasn't saying these things to, to, to make a neat segue for you to plug that, but thank you. Um, no, no. I think I think you'll find that it was more my skill in the neat segue, <laughs> neat segue than you. Yes, uh, yeah. You ain't seen nothing yet. It's um, I'm loving doing a podcast. It's it's I I'm learning a lot about movies as I go along. There's sometimes the idea is I talk to a movie lover about a, a classic movie they haven't seen up until now. They watch it before they come in. Um, you did Contagion, which was a, a great episode during the the pan the, the pan. Uh, it's funny how we sometimes oh I, I catch myself talking about the pandemic like a post like it's it's gone. Like, yeah, like, no, we're still in it. Yeah, we, 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 it doesn't feel like we are at the moment, but we're definitely still in it. I and know. if you're in India, you're definitely, you're definitely still in yeah, it at and, the moment. And, and all the best. Um, but it's um, uh, yeah. So uh, we, we did Contagion, which which is great. Uh, we're back for season three. Uh, Samuel Johnson did Predator. Um, Steve Curry did All About Eve. Uh, we've got Andy Lee doing There Will Be Blood. Uh, Samuel Mark Bonaro did Citizen Kane. Um, so we've got some great episodes. Andy Lee has never seen There Will Be Blood. Yeah. Well, so have you recorded it already? Yes, we have. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Did he? Uh, I mean, I don't want to give stuff away, but did he love it? He loved it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's one of the all time great films. It's, I watched it again the other night and was just like, fuck, this is a good. How film. good? Like, how, how good is that opening? How good is that opening where it's just that's what I love. That's it. Like Paul Thomas Anderson is just what a genius. And, and that's what that's any filmmaker wants to get to that point. And whether it's, whether it's PTA or, or, or Tarantino or the, or the Carl Brothers, where you can just do what you want. The, the, the first right. five minutes are basically not a word gets spoken. And we are just looking at we are looking at Daniel Day Lewis basically uh, you know, uh, mining for um, in, in a hole, literally in a hole in the earth. Uh, looking for silver, and um, and he climbs his way up to the top, and then he uh, and he, he he falls. He actually he falls, and he climbs his way to the top, and he gets to the top, and he's broken his leg, and then the next thing you see is him like in the and you, you realize he's he's in the middle of nowhere, and you kind of go, oh wow, he's in a whole bunch of shit. Then the next time you see him, he's in this like you know, post office or, or you know in town, and what's so amazing about that is that Paul Thomas Anderson like. You have to put it together yourself that Paul, uh, Daniel Day-Lewis's character, Daniel Plainview, has basically crawled on his back with a broken leg miles and miles to get to that town. Now, that would have been 
I'm sure it would have crossed Paul Thomas Anderson's mind to show that because that's what an interesting journey. That, that could have been the movie in itself. But that's something he chooses not to show you. And I find that those choices are fascinating. And those are the kinds of things, to be honest, I'm not picking up the first time I watch. You know, it's often in preparation for... Uh, the podcast that you know when I watch it again um, that I that I that I then pick up. Yeah. Um, I watched it again because somebody uh, tweeted the, the fact that they said I always laughed at I drink your milkshake because they'd only seen the memes of it. Yes, and then that they'd finally watched There Will Be Blood and we're like, oh, it's fucking terrifying. It's like, <laughs> yeah, it was yeah. like, yeah, it's one of the most iconic moments in cinema because of how ridiculous the kind of the line is and how terrifying that moment is. But it was literally that tweet of somebody going, I've just been laughing at this for years, thinking it was hilarious. And then I saw the movie and was like, oh my God, yeah. this is it, like, like it, it seems like a ridiculous line, but it's actually a line taken from a Congress hearing back in like a hundred years ago based on oil, uh, an inquiry into oil drilling and, and, and all of that. So the line is actually almost verbatim, a line that was used in Congress a hundred years ago. The one recurring theme that we have on the, on the, and it certainly comes up in Mark uh, Samuel Bonaro's episode of, of Citizen Kane, is how many times The Simpsons comes up and people are watching movies for the first time going, oh, that's, that's what <laughs> it is. Like Mark was like, oh, the Montgomery Burns backstory is like yeah. completely Citizen Kane. That's just, it's just, All of it is Citizen Kane. It, like it, the, the amount of times The Simpsons comes up is, is, is hilarious. Yeah, I had a friend uh, see Casablanca for the first time recently and they were like, I don't know what the fuss was. It felt like I'd seen it before. And I was like, yeah, because nearly every single moment of that entire movie has been parodied. In like, his, like, I mean, yeah, you have probably seen almost the entire thing before. Yeah, absolutely. And there's, there's all moments all throughout the, the podcast, the series with that. So, yeah, check it out. How to Stay Married, uh, The Project, uh, your travel book with Bridge. What else? Are we missing anything else we can plug? Uh, Frankie Fish, if you've got, if you got kids oh, who Frankie you, you want to get course, into yes. reading. The very final Frankie Fish uh, is out. Is the final for the series. We're moving on to a different series. And I must say, I'm as proud as that as I am of almost anything else I've done. The, the, particularly the final book, it ties up everything the way I wanted it to. It's a bit bittersweet. It's, a, it's, a, it's sad, but it's, it's got a bit of hope. It's, it's, hope is the underlining uh, theme. And it's got, also got a lot to say about uh, afterlife and, and, and various things without saying too much. Um, and uh, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's lots of fun still, but it's, um, yeah, if you get a chance, Frankie Fish and the Knights of Kerfuffle. Yeah, it's weird that you revealed that Frankie actually died in an airplane accident in the first episode and has been dead the entire time. That's, I mean, that that should have been, been an off-air conversation. But thanks for reading it. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that. Just enough of the spoilers, mate. <laughs> uh, Peter, thank you very much, mate. Thanks, buddy. Thank you for listening to Willosophy. You would have heard Will and Peter talk about Geraldine Hickey in that chat. Well, she has also been a guest on Willosophy, so please go and check out her episode. Here is a little snippet from that. We It was just this activity that we did one day in class where it was just it was like four lines up on the board and teacher was like, get in partners and just you can interpret those lines whatever way you want. And so I get up and, and did it and everyone laughed I went, guys, I was serious that time. (laughs) And then my drama teacher was like, Jesse, do you know what this means? And I went, oh, that I can't act. (laughs) And he went, no, that you're a comedian and you should look at doing comedy. 
another fantastic chat. And of course, the guys also talked about Charlie Pickering show the weekly Well, Charlie has also been a guest on Willosophy in the past. So I highly recommend you scroll up on your podcast feed and check out some of the other amazing episodes of Willosophy. There is a huge back catalog of episodes over the past few years. So please go and check some of the other episodes out and uh, we'll catch you next time.